0: Welcome to Business Masters, the podcast that gives you direct access to world-leading experts on key business issues. To be the first to know about future shows and to access even more exclusive content, visit businessblueprint.com and subscribe today. Hello, it's Dale Beaumont here, founder of Business Blueprint, and welcome to another Business Masters podcast. Today, I'm talking with intellectual property expert, Jeff Moeller, and our subject today is how to protect your intellectual property. Jeff, thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, Dale. Thank you for having me.
0: So first of all, let's bring everybody up to speed. How do you define intellectual property as it relates to a business?
1: Uh, Intellectual property describes things which are created with the mind, uh, which are new or original and in business, it can take a number of different forms. It can be a, a new invention, a brand, a design, uh, an artistic work or creation, uh, even music, art or, or a book even.
0: Okay. And uh, can you give us some examples uh, of what would be listed under a company's intellectual property? You've mentioned some things like you know, brand and guessing, can you even do things like colors and fonts and logos and even sounds?
1: Uh, yeah, there's a number of things you can actually trademark and the, the type of things include uh, a business name, a logo uh, and a, a colour, uh, even a sound can be uh, trademarked, a smell, a shape, a picture or a combination of these. Most commonly though, people like to trademark or protect their business brand and a logo which is typically a composite logo which might include like an image but included with that is the actual business brand or the product brand as well. Some people are happy not to register or protect their business name, although most do, because it's really about what you're marketing. So if you're marketing a product uh, or a service and that's going to the market and that's the brand you want to protect and that's typically what people will, will apply for in a trademark.
0: And uh, why would a business you know, go to the effort of... Uh you know, of doing this whole process apart from, you know, kind of the the obvious about, you know, protecting your business and maybe trying to um, distance yourself from other competitors. But are there any other reasons that we should be thinking of?
1: Uh, absolutely. And the question I, I ask people is what happens if you don't apply for a trademark? And people invest quite a lot of time and money into building up their business name or their brand but don't apply for a trademark. And so what can happen is that you can spend or a couple can spend uh, enormous amounts of time and money building up their brand only to find that someone else has seen their idea or a success and then applied for a trademark and if the other people get a trademark, that really puts their their concept, their business or brand at risk because the other people can just go about you know, using that brand or trademark uh, at, at will and I, and I see that quite a lot. People just don't act early enough in uh, applying for or protecting their intellectual property around their branding.
0: I'm guessing it does make your company more valuable as well because uh, it, it does have a tangible value, those uh, trademarks and, um, and protections.
1: Absolutely. It is a true asset and it does accumulate value over time in the fact you're just running your business on a day-to-day basis. Uh, to give you an idea, when, uh, when Zups sold their business many, many years ago up here in Queensland, we don't know what they've got for their, for their buildings and their stock and their cars and their computer systems. We just don't know that. But I do know that when they sold their their trademark, their intellectual property, their brand, it was a separate negotiation uh, based on their legal structure and they got $177 million for it. So trademarks and intellectual property assumes value.
0: Mm, fantastic. Now, what are the things that we do need to go through a formal process in order to protect and to to make sure that we have either trademarks or patents and those type of things versus things that are just protected anyway by just kind of common law?
1: Uh, okay. Uh, there are some things you can apply for through a formal process of registration, examination, and, uh, uh, and, and in actually getting it uh, through. Other things which you don't have to register are copyright, and that covers books, articles, Uh, artwork, images, designs, copyright is automatic and quite protected in uh, about 70 countries around the world. It's automatic. You can register copyright in America, but you don't have to. In Australia, you can't register copyright. So they're the things you don't have to register. But things like patents, trademarks, designs and plant breeders rights actually have a formal application examination and registration process. When you look at going through the process of applying for a trademark and and as you mentioned when when we started talking, a trademark is really about distinguishing your brand or product from everybody else's and then protecting that. So when you apply for or look to think about applying for a trademark, you need to determine what kind of intellectual property you're trying to protect. Is it something you need to register or is it something which is automatically protected say for example under copyright? Uh, graphic designers, for example, when they do their work, all their work's protected under copyright, as is a photographers, somebody does a uh, an artwork or a song or, a, video or a book. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all protected automatically. But okay. when you do it when you do a trademark, you need to determine first of all what kind of uh, IP it is. It has there's 45 classifications of trademarks in Australia. It's a, it's a very convoluted database, so you just gotta work out which classifications you need to protect your trademark in. And you then need to do the searches to f- find out, make sure you're not infringing somebody else's trademark already. Then you look at the application process. Uh, you have to wait. It's a seven and a half month minimum process to apply for a trademark. So it has to go through that assessment process. And there's also an opposition period in there where people who uh, think you may be applying for a trademark which is too close to their own or an in international company you actually can actually object to your red uh, application as well. And then at the end of the seven and a half months, usually I find about eight months, there's a registration. And once you register the trademark, you'll protect it for 10 years before a renewal fee is due again.
0: Now, there will be people listening to this interview from other parts of the world, for US, New Zealand, UK, maybe even Singapore. Um, Now, each country has its own kind of laws and rules and also its own governing body that oversees um, the application process do you know what some of those other entities are and um, you have to apply to each of them separately is that correct
1: uh, yes you do although if you're doing a number of countries there is what they call a Madrid protocol where you can apply to a number of countries uh, uh, at one time uh, and to give you an idea for, for from Australia if I was to apply for one trademark item either a name or a logo and I applied for all the cu- countries, which are covered under the Madrid Protocol, it would cost me around twenty-five thousand dollars just in government fees. Every country has their own sovereignty, though, with trademarks. Whether it's Australia, New Zealand, the US, uh, and the EU, tend to do it in a more uh, shared environment. Uh, with the when you look at overseas, though, it's very, very important, I believe, to get uh, an IP professional or IP lawyer to help you. Uh, in Australia, this, the process is uh, a bit simpler and, and same within, uh, with New Zealand as well. So the process is not too hard, but when you multiply the 45 categories in Australia, for example, with the other countries and how they do things, then there's definitely a, uh, a more complex process involved in applying for multiple countries at the same time.
0: Okay. So in Australia, I think it's the website is ipaustralia.gov.au and you can go on the website, lots of free information on that website. Um, do you know the websites for, uh, say, the, the US and the UK?
1: Oh, sorry, Dan, I can't tell you that at the moment, but if you go to the ipaustralia.gov.au website, they actually have links to the Madrid Protocol and the US Trademarks Database as well, and also to the uh, New Zealand, I think, as well, is on that website as well. So IP Australia is a good jumping off point. For many of the jurisdictions and sovereign trademark application processes around the world.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned these things called classes uh, because seven years ago when I registered my my first trademark, I just assumed that I'd own it for everything, uh, but that wasn't the case. That um, you know that there are these things called classes. Can you explain what they actually are and uh, and why can't we own our name for everything?
1: Uh, yeah. The it's interesting the classifications or categories or classes. Uh, they've been around since before the days of Einstein and it's really to help separate from a consumer's point of view where a business's brand fits into the marketplace. Say for example, if I was a caravan uh, manufacturer, well that would be certainly different from an accounting firm. So I might be able to have a similar or the same name in one classification as a caravan manufacturer. And as an accounting firm, I can have the same name, and, the, and obvi- it's obvious that the consumer is not going to be confused. So they have broken it down into 45 uh, classifications. The first 34 are to do with product, and the 35 and above are to do with services. Uh, say, for example, construction versus applying tools for construction. They're all um, they're all different. It is a very convoluted database. So what? We would think of in uh, search engine optimization or search engine marketing or what we've been become used to, it's very different from the trademarks database. It's very convoluted and there are things which are in one category which you wouldn't necessarily associate and things which you think would be together which aren't in one category. You've got to apply for multiple categories. A lot of people are becoming involved with, say, um, uh, newsletters, online publications, uh, blogs, uh, they all have been allocated into various classifications and categories and the goal when you're applying for a trademark is often to look at the most appropriate classifications to protect but minimising the amount of money you're going to invest to uh, apply for a trademark because it can get very, very expensive. So I find w- when I work with people in trademarks, there's usually two to three classifications that apply. Some For some people, it could be five or seven uh, but certainly, it not never, it's never 45
0: And so there's a fee, there's a a one-time fee for the trademark process, but then there's another fee per class. And so that's why you're saying sort of to limit the number. And I suppose the more you try and do, you know, the more objections you'll run into and the harder it will be to get through. Is that correct?
1: That's exactly right. For each classification, there's a application fee for per item. Say, for example, if you look at a brand name, that's one item. If you look at a logo, that's another item. So therefore, that's two items. If you look at two... Categories. That's actually four times the fee of two hundred dollars for the application fee. Uh, and that, there's actually three ways you can apply, it. so the fee does vary depending on which way you apply. In eight months' time, to complete the registration process in Australia, it's three hundred dollars per item per class. So that's why it's important to do all the work well before you actually apply to know exactly the categories or classifications you're going to apply in uh, before you put the money over. Because I I have come across people I've uh, helped who've actually applied and then found out they've actually applied for the wrong category and had to start again.
0: And what what do you do if you, in this process, you um, uncover that there's someone trading with a similar name um, that already has a trademark in place? Um, Do you try and change your name? Do you try and get it through but with you know, kind of less classes. Um, what do you do if you run into to some um, obstacles?
1: Usually, well again I talk about Australia but all jurisdictions are very similar. When you apply, IP Australia in this example would say, no you can't have the trademark because somebody else already owns it in, a, in the same class or a related class similar to what you're doing uh, and they would just knock it back. If and it depends on who started using the trademark first, whether it's a registered trademark or just a trademark that people have been using in their day-to-day business. What would happen is that uh, if you started before the other people, if you started using your trademark before the other people, you can argue the case that say, well, no, I've been using this trademark for the last five, 10 years. These other people have only registered, for example, in the last two years, and then you can uh, then you can argue your case to to apply for, and then and then. Prove that you should have the right to it now. Own that. the The issue is that when you don't apply for a trademark and someone else does, it puts you on the back foot. So it becomes much more expensive very quickly to actually now turn around and prove that you should also own the trademark, even though you've been using it for a long, long time. So, it's, if, although there are government fees and the cost of helping or having a professional help it's much much cheaper than actually going the other way and then having to prove that you own the you should have the right to own that trademark at the same time.
0: And I see some people you know they put the little TM next to their their logos then there's other people that have Cs other people that have Rs. Can you explain what all those sort of symbols mean and can anyone just put on any of those things they like or is there a process?
1: Oh that's a great question Dale because it often comes up. Uh, in a lot of the uh, in the work I do that people say, well, I saw a TM there or I, I, I want to use the TM but I'm not quite sure. Uh, in Australia, when you see a TM, it actually means nothing legally in Australia at all. Anybody can put a TM next to uh, anything. Of course, you don't want to be infringing someone else's trademark but you can put a TM next to anything and it might indicate to people that, yeah, you've got a trademark application in process or it's just an unregistered trademark. You can do that with anything you want. If you put an R, which is usually the R in a circle next to a logo, symbol, word, then that means or or indicates that you have a, a fully registered trademark. And it's very important that you don't put that on something where it's not registered because it can mean up to three years in jail and up to $50,000 fines for telling people you've got a registered trademark when in actual fact you don't. So it's very, very important you never use the R in a symbol unless it's registered. The TM... In Australia has no legal bearing and has, means really nothing here as far as IP Australia goes.
0: Now you mentioned this kind of period uh, that could last, you know, seven or eight months um, before it does get registered and there's a period where people can object to it. Um, what happens if people object and also what happens if you're on the flip side of that? Meaning you've got your trademark through, it's been successful. Um, and then how do you know if someone else is coming behind you trying to register something similar? You know, how do you get kind of notified uh, about this apart from, you know, looking at their journals and reading them every month? How do you know what's kind of going through after you?
1: Uh, Yeah, look, another great question. I see this all the time from both sides. What what happens is that uh, IP Australia don't let you know. I mean, if you are protecting your trademark, uh, every... I would say three months at least, you'll just go online, do a quick search to make sure no one's applied for something similar or the same as what you have. what you have. And at that point, you can lodge an objection or someone can lodge an objection against your trademark application. So whether they're an Australian company or an international company, they can actually lodge an objection. It does cost money. It's not a, not a free thing at all. And if someone, for example, if someone lodges an objection against you or someone applying for a trademark, they have to do it within now. It's only just changed in the last couple of weeks. Within two two months of the final seven and a half months of an application process, they only get two months to lodge the application, and they have to pay a fee to do it. Once that's done, that person then has to come up with the evidence of why you shouldn't have that trademark you've applied for, and the and vice versa. If you object to someone's trademark application, you have to come up with a reason why they shouldn't have that uh, trademark. So you can't just lodge an application and and just think that it's all going to be fought on your behalf because there are costs which should be awarded against you uh, if you lose. So you've got to be very, very careful about that.
0: Okay. Um, and this may set, be starting to sound a bit complicated for a lot of people listening to this going, gee, how am I going to do this myself? Do you recommend people should do it themselves? You know, get a consultant perhaps that's been through this process many times before or a professional legal firm who's the best person to go to to get some advice around their individual circumstances and then get the whole process, you know, through. Uh,
1: Yeah. Okay. There's there's probably three ways you could do this. Um, And there's a DIY, do it yourself. And IP Australia have some very good information about how to actually lodge the application online. There's, Workshops you can do and attend which then allow – give you a more – a deeper understanding of all the whole process and especially some of the pitfalls involved. And a lot of workshops will, will share case studies about, well, what can happen in this uh, scenario and what has happened and what's been the outcome. Uh, and the case studies and the stories are very, very powerful uh, learning tools in my mind. And the third way is to engage an IP professional. So it can be someone who specializes in uh, intellectual property and trademarks, it can be an IP attorney, and it can be a a, a legal firm. So there's three definitely different, different ways there to um, to to get professional support. Plus, there's a DIY and the workshops as well, which will help lead people through the process and explain all the steps along the way.
0: And a lot of people, you know, they get very excited when they think about trademarks and worldwide expansion. Should people be thinking globally from the beginning or should they just, you know, focus on building their core kind of country and market, getting that strong and then, you know, spending the twenty twenty five thousand dollars later on down the track once they're a bit more established?
1: Uh, yes. I, I I think there's a, a good strategic discussion around this. I've heard people talk about yeah, get it in place early, and certainly that's what I do personally. I always do my due diligence, uh, get things underway, and I often wait until the trademark application process is complete before I bring it to market. And a lot of uh, people I work with do that. Other people want to test the market, get it into the market first, and then apply for a trademark once they know it's going to be successful. Other people start off with a extra strategy straight up front. So they have their business plan. They say, well, I'm going to, my extra strategy is going to be this. I actually have a plan. And then sometimes I say, well, I'll get the trademarks in place. uh, Make sure that's done because that'll create value for the business. Uh, And by the way, if if a business doesn't have a trademark and someone comes to buy the business, off, the first thing they'll ask is, well, who owns the IP or intellectual property around this business brand or name? And if you say, well, no, we haven't bothered, uh, it immediately devalues the business uh, straight away because there's no protection around the IP or the uh, brand. Uh, so with the extra strategy in place, some of the more entrepreneurial and worldwide thinkers think, well, I'm going to get everything in place, uh, but I don't think I'll ever have to defend my trademark because that's not my job. My job is really to create the, the wealth or the program and then it'll be up to the next person or the float or the company that buys my business who will have to defend the uh eventually defend the trademark if ever that case that, that time comes.
0: Okay, we're almost out of time. Do you have any kind of final thoughts or kind of, you know, words of wisdom to close?
1: Yeah, I, I look I encourage people to look at the trademarks and in the intellectual property very early in their business planning. Look at that as part of your business plan or business planning and then determine what kind of intellectual property will the business need. Or intellectual property protection, the business will need what kind of intellectual property will it end up with eventually, and then go immediately into steps to uh, protect that IP, because in today's world IP is a will give a competitive advantage as well as it'll add value to the business in the long term. But we spoke about trademarks, but there's also again yeah, domain names related to trademarks, the way Google handles. Uh, trademark or IP as well. Uh, it's a big trap there. If you're not, if you don't have a trademark, uh, one three hundred numbers, uh, trade uh, customer list. A whole lot, lot of things are under that IP classification. And the business plan, in my mind, should really cover all those things as part of the normal things you do in the business plan now. And I'll just finish up by saying that with search engine optimization and search engine marketing. One of the things is that it can work very effectively and we go out of our way to be found online. But the trouble is because we get found online, it can also give us problems with intellectual property and trademarks and also infringing somebody else's trademark as well. So in one way, what was acceptable several years ago with trademarks and intellectual property is not acceptable today. Very different world today because of the fact we do want to get found online, we do use those tools and the internet Uh, to further our business. But at the same time, we then have to be uh, more clever about how we protect or secure our intellectual property.
0: Jeff, it's been a pleasure chatting.
1: Thank you, Dale. Thank you for um, allowing me to share my thoughts on IP. I I love talking about the subject.
0: For more information about Jeff Moller please visit jeffmoller.com.
1: Thanks for listening to another
0: Business Masters podcast. To access more great content or to download your free
1: business plan template, visit businessblueprint.com.